Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Okay, hello and welcome everybody to the Chakraway Meditation Podcast. Today I'm really delighted to be um, joined by a beautiful yoga and meditation teacher, Kadeen Morecambe. Now I met Kadeen um, in May when she was hosting a beautiful yoga retreat in Morocco, just outside Marrakesh, earlier this year. And um she and and her partner actually incredibly wise and have this beautiful way of teaching yoga and teaching the wisdom around yoga. Now, Kadeen has just um, completed a master's degree in yoga and the traditions. And um, we're going to talk about her specialist subject today, Kadeen. So welcome and thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Roseanne. It's great to join you and nice to see you after all the time. Um, yes, so we're going to talk about the Dasha Mahavidyas today. So this is uh, a course that I run, uh, a one-year immersion. I actually didn't write about them in my um, master's degree. I thought all the way through the degree that I would, of course, write my dissertation on the goddesses, but I didn't in the end. So um, I that's another subject maybe something we can talk about another time I yeah. wrote about the role of sleep in yoga and meditation traditions oh wow so, excellent yeah yeah so but the the Mahavidyas so they are tantric deities goddesses there's 10 of them in this form although earlier incarnations may have had more there are different references to having more of these goddesses but the incarnation that we're talking about now the 10 goddesses that come together came together around about the 10th century so what they are are we could say the 10 goddesses together make up the formation of the whole of reality as it is they're being represented Mm -hmm. through these 10 Uh, you could say, archetypal forms. And um, so what I do with this course, basically, is introduce people to the 10 goddesses and we'll go through, we spend a month to six weeks with each goddess. So I run the course over a year. And what I'll do with each goddess is we'll have a, a meetup session where we go through learning about her iconography, her mythology, her symbolism. We do some practices with her, mantra and meditation practices. And then I kind of send you off on your way for that month or six weeks. And I send you lots of practices over that period of time. So we use the characteristics of the goddess to essentially inquire into ourselves. 
Okay, so that's a, a basic introduction to what we do with them. Okay, so I mean, it's we all know, you know, the the term goddesses is so widely used now. You know, uh, you know, you just meet your friend and you go, oh, you're absolute goddess, you know, and you're feeling fantastic. And um, as I was just explaining to you before, I went on a goddess weekend recently, which was really just embracing and understanding all the sort of the basic feminine archetypes that we have within us, you know, like the mother and the crone and so on. Um, but this is taking it to a whole new level because this has got all that yogic tradition um, behind it. And understanding the goddesses, I mean, is this presumably relevant to all life to all people and it's not just a female archetype or is it well yeah I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because often there is a sort of misconception I think around what we call the divine feminine mm. and you know it's wonderful that it's being used in a way that is um, empowering women I know there's lots of teachers out there using this as a form for specifically for female practitioners yeah. to um, get to know themselves and feel empowered within an, a female form. But the Mahavidyas and the divine feminine, as we would refer to it in the tantric tradition, is exactly that. As you say, it's open to all people. So it's not that we are separating male and female. And I often like to make the distinction between feminine and female. So there is a feminine quality, of course, here. And we can talk about what that feminine quality is as Shakti, as power. Mm. Um, but it is um, all life is um infused with that feminine force essentially yeah. so i do have men coming on the course it's predominantly women because i think women are attracted immediately to that idea of the goddess so i would say probably in my uh groups it's probably 80 to 90 percent women who are on there but yeah. I do have a few forward-thinking men who are brave enough to join, so that's good. But yeah, absolutely, we're looking at something because inherently this tradition is what we would call non-dualistic. So if we start separating male and female, we're creating a dualism there. So we're looking to have an experience that is non-dualistic, which, in other words, encompasses everything. Yeah, yeah. And... How do so we in your learning about all these various goddesses, of which I think I I was looking up, I had a good look at them before, and I think there's probably only two names on this list that I recognize. So there's Kali and then there's Kamala, the ones that I recognize. And then Tara, I don't know, but it's a normal name, so I kind of like that sounds familiar. But are the archetypes ones that we would be familiar with without even knowing about it? Or is it what they represent that is perhaps familiar to us? Yeah, and what they represent. So between the 10 goddesses, we have a representation really of all elements of, we could say human experience, but all experience. So there's definitely... Um, those archetypes that we will recognize such as you mentioned the crone that's a very mm -hmm. common archetype when we're talking about um the, the divine feminine and mm -hmm. uh, that would be represented in one of the Mahavidyas called Dumavati she certainly represents the crone but mm -hmm. they are essentially they're goddesses so the creation of them as a group through the tradition of Tantra. So the Tantra tradition is something that arose in South Asia and it kind of came out of influenced by Vedic tradition and um, ascetic tradition as well. And what the Tantras are, essentially they are texts called Tantras, but it was a way of approaching um, I guess we would say the term religion now, but actually practices. And so there would be actual, you could say manuals called tantras right. that describe particular practices. And they're very much based around um, relationships with deities. 
So with the goddesses, we have what's called, they're in a tradition of Shakta Tantra. So this is the Shakta meaning, or sh we know Shakti, this term meaning power. So this is the uh, feminine quality of mm -hmm. consciousness. So we have this Shiva Shakti paradigm where we have the, the deity Shiva we're familiar with, this God, and then we have Shakti, the, the feminine um counterpart and this mm. is between them this is kind of hot the whole of reality is this interconnection between shiva and shakti mm. so it's more manifest in form and shiva is more um what we might think of as the formless reality yeah so i think no so i think i'm just saying that i think that most people will recognize those names the shakti and shiva as the you know the the shakti at the base at the root you know when i'm looking at it in chakra terms you know sitting at the root and then mm -hmm. the kundalini rising up to meet shiva um at the at the crown so yeah. that's the thing where where it turns into a kind of more familiar territory but i love the carry on because i love your explanation i'm already learning yeah absolutely i mean this is this is part of what um is explored within i mean kundalini is a really um useful way to approach the goddess because this is essentially the kind of power of the goddess within our own body is kundalini shakti so we can experience that through the yogic body and uh, as you you're very familiar with the series of chakras and nadis these channels so this is one way that we experience the goddess and yeah she rises you know we get this rising kundalini up and we can have this movement up and down of kundalini but um, I think we were talking about, you were asking about the archetypes and the different goddesses and how you mm -hmm. recommend, uh, sorry, how you recognize them. Yeah. And what we have here is the reason we've got these goddesses, they've come together is in part the interaction between what we have with Buddhism and for want of a better word, I'm going to say Hinduism, but that's a whole other um, dialogue we could get into because that's a, a modern creation of the, the, the term Hindu, Hinduism that came out of colonialism. Because um, when we go back to this era where we have the Mahavidyas created, we just have different sects of uh Shaivas, so people who worship Shiva, Vaishnavas, Vishnu worshippers and Shaktas, so people who worship the goddess. And we have Buddhists and we have Jains within India. So we have different traditions. Later on, a lot of these things merge to become Hinduism. So when I use the term Hinduism, I'm just bearing that in mind just because it's a convenient term but yeah. I do I am aware that Hinduism didn't exist as a term at that time so within this tradition what happened we sort of get a decline of Buddhism in India and some of these goddesses get appropriated into the Mahavidya so there's a little bit of a, a mixed uh an intertwining of goddesses from what we would say are, is Hindu tradition and Buddhist tradition. So you mentioned Tara because you know that name. So she is, and a lot of people will be very familiar with Tara as a Buddhist Bodhisattva goddess. So green Tara and white Tara, they're very popular Buddhist deities. So we have this goddess Tara appearing in the Mahavidyas. Her form looks quite different. And it has been argued between scholars whether or not it's the same goddess, but her mantra is a Buddhist mantra. So she's clearly been taken from the Buddhist tradition and put into this tradition. And we could say that these things happen partly to, there can be an assertion of dominance through different tradition. It's like, oh, that tradition has that goddess, but we'll take that so we can have her too. So it's quite interesting to watch when we delve into the history of religion in South Asian and yoga traditions, how there is a lot more interaction between these traditions than we would otherwise think. We, we think of Hinduism as being one thing and Buddhism as being another. But a lot of the practices that come through these traditions, particularly through the Tantra roots, 
are kind of shared. So we get shared deities. So Tara is shared between Buddhism and Hinduism via the Mahavidyas. Uh, Chinnamastar, another one of the uh, Mahavidyas, is very much, she's a, a Buddhist deity as well. And um, interestingly, she appears in the first Hatha Yoga text as well, which was recent in recent years proven to be a Buddhist text. So the tradition of Hatha Yoga was always considered to be a tradition that came out of the Shaiva tradition, Shaiva Tantra. But the first text, the Amrita Siddhi, was a Buddhist text and part of the reason they know it was a Buddhist text because at the time it was written we have this um, opening paragraph dedicating to Chinnamastar uh, so it's quite interesting so, so we get what we get with and this is what I really love because I'm interested in um, all South Asian soteriology these traditions that lead to freedom I'm really interested in the interaction of these traditions and that they're not completely separate because actually what I like to practice is something that leads me to a non-dual state. And it's really interesting to sort of see these traditions in a sort of non-dualistic way as well, that actually they're not completely separate. So there is this appropriation of goddesses and this mix of goddesses. And some of the goddesses, they have early prototypes in... Um, more indigenous goddesses that you would say are a local goddess to a particular area of India. So some of the characteristics of that goddess get appropriated into the Mahavidyas. And it's, I think it's a kind of way of unifying different areas and different practices into one to bring them together. So for instance, the deity uh, Matangi who is one of the Mahavidyas she has an early prototype in a goddess called Minakshi which is a South Indian goddess there's a really well-known temple to her in uh, Madurai in Tamil Nadu and um, she is a goddess who's kind of a arisen out of this Dravidian tradition this South Indian tradition so it's kind of separate from the original Vedic tradition as well so there are basically these goddesses come together and they kind of take little bits from maybe a a really well-known local deity and bring um, characteristics and characteristics from older deities within the Vedas as well get appropriated in some of these goddesses so there's a real sort of mix of what we meet in them so yeah it's very interesting in that and then when we meet all these sort of mixed characteristics overall what we meet is different ways of approaching a practice for us to have some form of self-realization yeah so this is what i was going to kind of this is what i wanted to get into so we're studying a goddess now i'm going to take the goddess of this list of 10 that i feel i know the best and i probably know about 0.5 percent of what she represents and again another goddess that people may well have heard of more is which is kali so kali has you know she is dark she is death and rebirth and um she has you know she's got skulls and blood and she's not a pretty picture and actually what is interesting is when I did a quick scan of like reading up about well you know just a quick one and I was like god they all come out with really bad descriptions they're like you know they got disheveled hair and three eyes and then you know gnarly skin or dry or like they are not pretty I mean goddesses that we think of is like beautiful beauty queen goddess this is not that at at all so anyway we'll come we'll come back to that but I it's interesting because having sort of connected with this goddess Kali I can see the strength that she's given me like she's got her club for strength and the you know staff to keep the fear at bay and she's got um uh what's she got else she got she's got a, a, a severed head (laughs) just for fun to remind you of rebirth ego death all of that and then a cup which I believe was for the you know for spiritual growth you know in the description is just like she's got a cup of blood you know great that sounds really entertaining 
you know, she's pretty gnarly, but like all of those things together are really, so do they all have similar kind of symbolism? Like what are the kind of lessons that they learn, learn? do they, that they learn us, that they teach us? Are they, they all have something separate to teach us or is it as a whole that they have more to teach us? Well, it's a bit of both of those things. There are definitely different things that we'll meet through each goddess, but there are some themes that come back again and again. So the overall theme is to essentially point us towards our true nature. So to kind of recognize ourselves as, as part of the bigger whole, we could say. And uh, interestingly, you mentioning Kali, so she's the first goddess of the Mahavidyas. And she's kind of considered in a way to be the mother of the Mahavidyas. And in some uh, stories, she's kind of she kind of gives rise to the Mahavidyas. So there are she's in a way a prototype for the rest of the Mahavidyas to come out of but they are all quite individual as well. So we get different characteristics. So we, we meet Carly first, this really awesome um, goddess who, like you say, she has all these characteristics that can, if at first glance, if we look at an image of Carly, she seems very fierce and fearsome and maybe she might, um, invoke fear in someone to see that. I often think because I've got, uh, images of all of these goddesses in my house and uh, I've got a, a teenage daughter who has friends coming around I think I, I've got no idea what they think when they see all these images of these goddesses with like heads in their hands and uh, you know uh, an, a garland necklace of heads and things like that but um, yeah the, there are similar iconography that comes in through a lot of the goddesses representing their forms so for instance we commonly meet in pretty much all of the mahavidyas the the mudra abhaya mudra which means fearlessness and varada mudra which is this sort of downward pointing hand towards the floor uh which is um a sort of gift bestowing mudra so those two elements of iconography are quite useful for us to remind us of what the goddesses are drawing us towards. So they're, they're asking us to be fearless, of course, but they're also kind of bestowing these gifts upon us. So the Mahavidyas are approached for both spiritual realization, so to ultimately become free, but traditionally, they've also been used to gain cities, these magical powers as well. So this uh, gift bestowing mudra can be the gift of gaining powers as well, which is quite interesting. Mm -hmm. So there is, um, you know, they have been used to gain particular powers that some we if we look at them from a modern context we might think oh hang on a minute what what's that so like the the power to overcome your enemies is a common theme that comes up sometimes but I always approach that and we look at that that actually the the primary em enemy that we experience as a spiritual practitioner is this kind of getting caught up in our own ego, getting caught up in our own mind. This is the real enemy, isn't yeah, we it? We are our worst own worst enemies, are we not? Exactly, yes. exactly. So it sounds like we're, you know, we're not trying to smite our neighbors or anything like that. But <laughs> yes, you know, what we are trying to do, and that this is what we have in some of this symbolism of Kali. So when we have this 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 garland of heads here this can represent all these sort of ruminating thoughts is one of the elements of this symbolism it also represents the sanskrit alphabet there are other elements but it can represent the different incarnations of life so we're being guided to some things that we might want to overcome or transcend and this holding the head in the hand again that's often it's just that severing it's just an immediate severing of the ego so we would really associate the ego with the head wouldn't we that's gone it's like 
I'm free. So there are very direct symbols that are used in the goddesses. So we get this idea of what their characteristics are and what they're guiding us towards. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. But then we have, um, so some things do appear again and again, the Tara, her form in the Mahavidya looks very similar to Kali. So if you, to the untrained eye, people would probably see her and think it's Kali. But there's a few things that you can spot that you can distinguish Tara from. But then we have other goddesses. I'm just mentioning some of the more interesting iconography. This goddess I mentioned earlier, Chinamastar. She is a goddess who's actually severed her own head and she holds her own head in her hand. She has two attendant uh, deities with her and she's basically where she's severed her head. She's got three streams of blood that come out, one into her own mouth and one into these deities that she's feeding next to her, these attendants. So Mm -hmm. what we have represented here, there are some very direct representations of self-nourishment, of course, and the nourishment of others. But we have through these three streams, we have this more esoteric representation of the three channels within the yogic body, the Shushumna and Ida and Pingala. And we have this representation of the blood rising up as a rising Kundalini. So there are direct representations that we meet, but there are sort of hidden representations. And this is very typical of the Tantra tradition, that it it lays out particular practices, but some of them are kind of closely guarded secrets that you kind of have to be initiated into traditions to really learn although not so much these days because most information is available to us but more traditionally it would require initiation to understand the sort of hidden meanings yeah to get all the symbolism that's there needs you know because yeah your average person would look at that image um and and think Oh, good Lord, what is going on there? But yes, when you say it, like you do, you know, it's very clear. Um, what's coming up for me that I'm interested to know is, and this may be a really basic, stupid question, but these, where where do all, I mean, I suppose this goes for every, all deities, whether they be Greek or Roman or Hindu or whatever, where do these deities come from? And how did they come to be? I mean, is it just through mythology, through stories? And I know that they appeared first in, you know, in these tantric manuals, as you as you call them, you know, the doc, these documents. But um, where were they born from? Where did they, where did they manifest from? Yeah, it's a great question. So the earliest um, deities that we get within South India is within the Vedas. So the Vedas are the earliest um, texts that we have. um, And they're kind of considered to be the the base texts that um, modern Hinduism is based on this Vedic tradition. So the oldest text being the Rig Veda, which current consensus with scholars dates it back to about 1200 before common era so over 3000 years old so we do get mentions of some deities none of the Mahavidyas directly but there are definitely 
early prototypes in there that we can see that some of the characteristics of the of some of the Mahavidyas have been taken from. So we have um, deities in those texts and uh, the Vedas are, so within the, the, the Vedic period, these are, they're, they're obviously written down texts, but they would have been um, transmitted orally originally. Yeah, so they're transmitted, yeah, for a, a long time. And this tradition was really a sort of ritualized tradition or, and often based around the kind of Vedic fire and um, making offerings into the Vedic fire. So we kind of get this tradition of ritualism. And in that early period, rituals were carried out to, um, you know, to do, get things like, you know, get a better crop or, <laughs> you know, to, to, to gain some kind of, uh, power within this life and then what starts to happen in india later on so when we we move from the vedas then we get this tradition of the upanishads and aranyakas that come a little later so around the earliest around about 700 before common era and we start getting a more what we would think of as more sort of spiritually aspirational and that starts to talk about like what is the self? We get these kind of questions about what the self is and we start getting early references to things like the breath and we even have references to channels. So we start getting things like that in there and and some mention of deities, not in an overt way like the Mahavidyas, but definitely appear. So they kind of slowly appear. And then we have... Um, within the what was the shramana movement so this is kind of the birth of buddhism and jainism which is in this area of india which is modern day kind of bihar area but it was called greater magadha we get these movements that start to include in their uh, practices this the doctrine of karma so karma being action and this starts to create this whole system of uh, karma and rebirth and then this starts to come into these there's a, this melding of these traditions together and then we start getting the growth of I guess out of all of this sort of coming together then we get a direct system that like the tantra that comes out that starts giving us practical mm -hmm. ways to to realize there's practical ways to escape the cycle of rebirth so of course we get that through the, the buddhist tradition and jain tradition in their, their own ways through meditation practices but yeah we start to build something that is a bit more um you know very direct in its mm -hmm. approach to what is it we're trying to achieve we're trying to achieve moksha or liberation and how are we going to achieve that and within that there's the question about what i am and how we experience i um that is beyond the limited identification of this form that i'm in so we start getting the, the explorations of like the subtle body starts to come into that as well. So the deities kind of, they form part of this because they they represent elements of experience. And what we have here, so when we see an image of a goddess, we see an anthropomorphic image, but actually a goddess or a god so in particular, the um, goddesses, they're also represented primarily by their mantra. So they will have a mantra and that is as much their form as this anthropomorphic form that we can look at. So when we chant their mantra, that is basically it's not the mantra that belongs to the goddess. It is the goddess. Yes. And the same with yantras. So these geometric diagrams that we get called yantras that is the goddess. So it, from our point of view, if we approach it from that the mantra and the yantra is the goddess, 
maybe we can intellectualize that but it's it may be harder for us to immediately relate to this so these anthropomorphic forms what they do is allow us to have a relationship because we can oh i can understand that i can understand elements of iconography and if mm. i can see an image then i can develop a relationship with it but we could also say ultimately they're all formless too yeah yeah now i love that that's such a brilliant beautiful explanation because these iconographies they're the image of these goddesses they're so intricate and they're so weighted down with so much symbolism that needs decoding and so on but it but that helps once you know obviously once you know what that symbolism means but I just love the idea that these goddesses actually just live within the resonance of their own mantra that that they are that resonance and that must bring them really to life when you when you're studying them as you do and actually brings me on really nicely to my next question which is going to be like so we learn about all of these beautiful goddesses and what they hold and their uh, their archetypes and their everything that they that they represent within us but how do you bring that you know you're saying that there's lots of practical practices so what are those Yes, yeah, so what I do is we basically will practice various mantras with the goddesses and they have lots of mantras. So they have um, a, what's called a mula mantra, a root mantra, but they also have um, many other mantras which will have different amounts of syllables within the mantras. They have a bija mantra, so a bija being a seed syllable mantra, so we, we're familiar with the seed syllable om. That's a, a bija mantra, so the goddesses have their own seed syllable mantras too. But most of the god, well, they all have... Um, 100 or 108 or even 1000 named hymns so these stultures these hymns and what they are is it's basically uh, a list of all the different names of the goddess so the most famous of these is the Lalita Sahasranama and this is a, um, a 1000 named him to the goddess Lalita Tripura Sundari, who is one of the Mahavidyas. And it's the kind of, I guess, the first of these uh, texts or these uh, 1,000 named hymns. Uh, it's considered to be absolutely perfect, this particular one, for various reasons to do with the Sanskrit, but I won't go into that now. But they all have these hymns of names. And what those names all they're sort of lists of names which will list all of these different characteristics they have. Now, what we see, and this is the kind of joining element of these goddesses, why we can see them as being kind of separate elements of reality, but also the same element of reality as well, is that we have a lot of names that are repeated in their hymns. So throughout all of the goddesses, they'll be, you know, they, they may all be referred to, for instance, as, um, you know, she who is the the power of a thousand songs or something like that. You know, we might have a name like that, or, you know, she who is, is the... Uh, Mahavidya, for instance, may be one of her names. So there's lots of names that get repeated. And we have through those names, that mixture of the characteristics that are the fierce characteristics, the benign characteristics. So it's quite interesting that we can relate to the goddesses in these different ways. We can meet these kind of fierce qualities. Um, for instance, if we look at the names of Kali, she's got lots of names that talk to talk about her being sort of bloodthirsty and liking blood because we have some stories around her with that so there are some interesting names there but you kind of have to know the background and, and to interpret what those names mean so it we'll sounds a bit like a sort of a sounds a bit like a recipe you know you've got <laughs> various ingredients and then you know however you combine them you create a different definitely yeah what's interesting so I've got some people who've done this course with me for the last four years they just keep signing up each year because they want to do it again and when we meet the goddess they will each year they'll say I've had a completely different experience with the goddess this time and they've seen them from a different angle because there are so many different angles so 
yeah so what we do we do meditations around her characteristics we practice mantras we will practice particular reflections that might be related to her characteristics so i use where i can meditations that come from tantras i use some hatha yoga although they're not specifically related to hatha yoga there are definitely some practices within hatha yoga that i can relate to the goddesses because they have a, a similar hold a similar power to what i'm looking at with each goddess so there's various different approaches. I will teach a yoga nidra with the goddesses as well with her characteristics. So we approach it in lots of different ways. So um, I basically share these practices, about two practices a week that come through when you're doing a course. So yeah, that's goddess, you're going to get like maybe, well, it depends around 10 practices probably to do with each goddess and I also do some more live practices that we dial in for so we have a live meetup first which is hybrid so some people do it via zoom some people are in person with me which is where I introduce the goddess and then we have um, an online forum where I share the practices with them throughout the month and we do a couple of other live dial in either meditations or nidras with mantra and various practices so yeah we approach them in lots of different ways and what has been wonderful about the course as well is that it seems to really awaken uh, creativity in people uh, I've got one of my students has written these wonderful poems to each goddess, which she's looking to try and get published at some point. They're amazing. I've got several students who've created their own uh, mantras with the mantras that we've been doing. They've recorded mantras and with different rhythms. So it's been really, really wonderful that we've got lots of kind of creativity. I've had uh, people doing paintings. So lots of things get shared within the group so it's a very kind of communal experience that we go through together and people will send reflections that they've been out and they particularly there's a one of the goddesses that we did last month was Bagalamuki and she's really associated with this color yellow so our whatsapp group that month people were like I'm just seeing yellow everywhere and things like that so it's really great there's a kind of supportive network for what we go through together because it's quite powerful because we're actually really delving into our own experience of being so it, it's asking us to to move beyond the kind of some scaras and vasanas that we carry with us these kind of um constructs in a way these um tendencies and traits and habits that we get that kind of form our identity and we're asking each other to move beyond this sort of limited construct of like being Kadeen. What does it mean to be Kadeen? I've got various preferences and likes and, you know, thoughts and habits that I do. But I want to expand beyond that. I want to know what it is to just be. So this is how we explore with the goddesses. Gosh, I mean, it just sounds so beautiful. And I know from experience that you know any kind of group work and and I've done my fair share of online courses myself and led them myself and I know that this um the 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 community side of things is so special and to have that support to know that there's a group there like if something happens and you go oh my god no one else is going to understand this but this group you know there's a sense of you know you creating a new family as well with that um within that group and you're traveling through the same discovery and I'm beginning to now understand from what you're saying that how this learning about all the various aspects of these um, extraordinary goddesses will teach you about yourself because you will start seeing them reflected in your own life it's like holding up a mirror to yourself it's similar to learning about the chakras and learning about what they hold for you and suddenly you're just like oh I see I see the, where I'm going wrong I see what I'm doing here and this is reflecting straight back at me and you have all of these beautiful learning moments within just your everyday life and 
the whole of life becomes I can see like the whole life just becomes one big kind of learning sort of like oh how can I relate this and yeah I think it sounds so beautiful so I want to go back to something that I said a little while ago about the images the um the appearance of all these goddesses and when I was looking them up looking them up the description and I I'll admit it I just went to Wikipedia and I just read what was on Wikipedia about them but they all have these very strong physical appearances and they are not pretty they are disheveled they are um you know they have very dark or dry skin or they're green isn't one of them's green or blue or uh, So I just wanted to ask you about why is it that they don't appear like the gorgeous goddess that one would might have in one's mind's eye? Yeah, so um, yeah, it's a great question and it's really important with them actually. Um, so there is this representation of everything being divine. So we, it's very easy, easy for us to see the divine in something beautiful a beautiful rose or whatever it might be a beautiful sunset oh we can connect to that divinity which we often do in the in nature but actually we find it more challenging to see the divinity in something that might be what we consider to be ugly so there is that element of us recognizing the divinity in everything And then there are elements there. So you mentioned the disheveled nature. So they often have this sort of disheveled hair. Hair is down and that's kind of important as well because that's a subversive quality. So normally women would have their hair, certainly at that time, um, tied back or braided. That would be the proper way to wear your hair unless you were somewhere menstruating so you wouldn't be out in public particularly or having sex so that's this is the time when your hair might be loose so there's a subversive quality there that they're kind of outrageously presenting themselves like that so again it's asking us to question constructs societal constructs and the constructs that we have around you know behaviors that we and, and obviously we these things do serve us in day-to-day life we, we want to be polite with people but there's also this challenge that maybe we we fall into habit patterns without being fully conscious so a little subversion can be quite useful because it helps us to see reality from different vantage points yeah, uh, I absolutely love that. I think that's a really beautiful point that, you know, that subversive quality that's challenging the norm, challenging the conventions um, that they do that help us to break out of those patterns and the stereotypes and expectations that we all are, you know, find ourselves living with. So, yeah really beautiful thank you for that explanation I'm glad we came back to that (laughs) thank you tell everybody how they can find you where um and obviously I'll have all your bits and pieces in the show notes so people can click on but just say it now for the sake of us oh I have a website um which I manage myself so it's very basic <laughs> you can find me at kadeen yoga so that's k-h-a-d-i-n-e yoga.com and you'll find a link to the dasha mahavidya's year immersion course there so you can also find me through uh, the network called vajrasati yoga so that's the yoga school that I'm part of and I run a 500 teacher 500 hour teacher training with my partner through Vajrasati Yoga so you can look me up through that as well so I mean I I just want to put a little bit of extra my add-in is that Kadeen is the most beautiful teacher and also the meditations that she leads she's got the most beautiful voice I mean you can tell she's got a beautiful voice but you're sort of you're chanting your mantra voice is just Oh, takes you, takes you away. So when uh, is your next course starting? So when can people sign up for the next round? Okay, well, you can sign up from now, basically. And I run it 
with the calendar year. So we start again in January. So we run it through January to December. So there'll be 10 live meetups, they're two hour sessions. And then we have all of those other uh, practices that come through. And then I do a couple of half an hour dial-ins where we can meet live. Um, I'm thinking of this year, doing a little mid-session uh, dial-in just to have a little informal chat with everyone and how it's going. That kind of happens naturally as part of our Google Classroom and WhatsApp groups, but I think it's quite nice to perhaps all just check in together. So yeah, we can start again in January and that will take you through to December. So um, yeah, it'd be great to have a few new people along. So this is gonna be, um great Christmas present I'm thinking I'm thinking who can I ask to get it for me for Christmas <laughs> because you know you start the new year and this is one of the things that we all do isn't it we're like oh this next year I'm going to be you know I'm going to do whatever it is I'm going to do but actually this as a self developmental learning tool for yourself especially if you're into yogis you know I hope you can all tell how very learned Kadine is like you know she really does know her stuff so um I just yeah i fully am excited for your course and thank you so so much for spending your time today kadeen i really appreciate it it's an absolute pleasure it's been lovely to chat to you it's um obviously we could have chatted all day on this but um yeah hopefully there's enough there to uh inspire people to at least just just go and have a look at the have a look at my videos yeah. tap it into google and just have a look at those images and see whether or not you feel drawn to them yeah that's wonderful thank you thanks Rosanne. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.